Two weeks ago, uh, last Thursday, we had an end-of-the-year assembly for all of the students at Cole Christian School. We got all the students from all three campuses, campuses right here together in this in- auditorium, and it was neat just to see everybody together. What we were doing was a surprise party for Ken Hunter, who stepped into that ministry as the administrator for the last year and a half. Now, Ken didn't know that's what we were doing. He thought this was to acknowledge Anita Merkel for her 20 years as a teacher at Cole. So we started the program with a presentation for Anita, and it was great. I mean, she is a great teacher. But then the MC got up and explained what else we were there to do. We were there... To, to thank and to honor Ken. And as soon as he said that, I mean, you could see the shock on Ken's face. He was stunned. And you could see this kind of flush of uh, gratitude and amazement and, and just a, a sense that he was loved. They brought a chair right up here in the front, and for the next two hours, each class made a presentation of love for Ken. Some classes uh, sang songs they had written. Several of them did skits. Some had poetry. Some had artwork. One even uh, led a cheer that they had had written. And as each class finished, they filed past his chair and gave uh, Ken a hug. Ken got about 430 hugs that day. Like I said, Ken didn't know what was going to happen. But all of that celebration was for him. He came to honor someone else and then suddenly was confronted with the reality that all of this was for him. These, these uh, students have been planning this for weeks. It was phenomenal. It was great to see just how deeply that touched Ken. The gratitude, the, 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 the honor, the pride, the, just the, the sense of really being loved. It was a perfect surprise party. Well, I've got something to tell you. Actually, the Apostle Peter has something to tell you. We uh, study history from Adam and Eve till now. We look at at, at all of the things that have happened, all that God has done throughout the ages, through folks like Abraham and, and Moses and David and Elijah. And what Peter tells us is all of this, All that God has done, all of history is for you. It's for you. Now, you thought history was for all of these great men and women of the past, all these these people of the Bible, but it is for you. History is is a, a surprise party planned by God for you. He loves you that much. He is that good. To you. Well, let's take a look. If you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 13. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 13. Let me just read these three verses. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now Peter started by saying concerning this salvation, and those of you who were here last week, 
uh, heard me explain that, that when Peter says this salvation, he's talking about the deliverance of our souls from the things that rob us of life, the things that, that, that distract us, pull us away from our relationship with God, where life is found. See, it's the deliverance from the pursuit of those things that we think are going to give us peace and, and joy and security, happiness. The deliverance from that pursuit so that we can really find these things, can really find joy and peace, satisfaction, where it can be found. In Christ. This deliverance is available to everyone. Because everyone, every human being, has, has an inextinguishable ache. A, a hunger for these things. For, for, for peace, for joy, for happiness. Uh, 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 an unshakable, solid happiness. Peace that passes all understanding. Love that makes us absolutely secure, fills us with a profound sense that we matter. We are infinitely important to someone. You see, these are the things that our God offers, yet we end up distracted, pulled away, seeking these things in so many different ways. We, we look for, for peace, for security, for, for happiness, for joy and wealth. We, we look for it in, in all kinds of relationships. We look for it in uh, uh, influence and power. We look for it in all kinds of ways. And, and when we can't find it there, that, that drive, that hunger, that ache causes us to escape the hunger through all kinds of ways, through alcohol, drugs, through all kinds of entertainments, through addictions, through blinding busyness. And again, our God offers us all of these things that we really long for because He offers us Himself and His love. And these things that we so desperately need and want are found in Him through faith. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But first, what Peter tells us is that the prophets, the people who wrote our Bibles, were trying to figure out exactly how this salvation from a broken relationship with God would come. There in verse 10, he said, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. See, our Old Testament was written by prophets who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, who, uh, who Peter calls the Spirit of Christ here. He says they were each given, each of these prophets were given just a little piece of, of the puzzle. And they were trying to figure out what the whole puzzle looked like. They didn't have the box to see the face on the front. And they took the little pieces they had and really tried to figure it out. Because you see, right from the beginning, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and the relationship between God and mankind was broken, immediately God began to give clues to give little pieces of the puzzle 
so that, 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 that it could start to be figured out. I mean, right, like I said, from the beginning, right when Adam and Eve sinned, God responded to their sin. And He gave them a clue about how He was going to fix it all. God said to the serpent back in Genesis 3, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. See, there's the first clue. It's a very vague clue that that one of Eve's descendants would destroy the enemy, would destroy Satan. Now, how and when and who was all left unanswered. But Eve was paying attention. She was listening. She was trying to sort it out. And when her first son was born, she said, I have received the man, the Lord. She thought her first son was the promised seed who would set everything right. She was wrong. His name was Cain, and he just added to the problem rather than solving it. But still, Eve was trying to sort it out, trying to piece it together. Eve only had one little piece of the puzzle. She didn't have the box. She couldn't see what the whole thing was going to look like. But she was trying. And she was working on it. As time went on, with each chapter of the Bible, each event of history, more and more pieces were given, more and more clues, so that by the end of the Old Testament, they'd got the edges put together. They, they had a, a clue. They had an idea of, of who would do this and how it would be done. But just an idea. And each of the prophets, with their own pieces, put their pieces into the puzzle. And then they strained to figure it out, to, 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 to fill in the picture. Peter uses words here when he says, uh, searched intently with the greatest of care when he's talking about these guys. These words mean to really study, to examine something from every possible anger. In fact, one of the words there was originally used of a dog sniffing something out. If you've ever seen a dog who knows something's in there, he can smell it. He doesn't give up. He keeps sniffing and scratching and sniffing and moving around for another angle. And they just keep going at it. And that's what he's describing. These guys were not going to give up. They kept sniffing and scratching and trying to figure it out, trying to put the puzzle together. This became the quest of their lives. They dedicated their lives to trying to figure the puzzle out and realized these were brilliant men. These were the kind of the rocket scientists of their day, and they devoted their lives to try to understand how God's plan was going to come off. As, a, as an aside, I think it's interesting to note that Isaac Newton one of the most brilliant minds of the last 500 years. He stopped studying physics when he was only 24, devoted the rest of his life to studying the Bible because he caught a glimpse that that's where the real answers to life were going to be found. But anyway, back to these Old Testament prophets. They studied, they devoted themselves to trying to piece the picture together, trying to understand God's plan. But they couldn't. They just didn't have enough clues. Peter, or excuse me, Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians is sympathetic. And he points out there's no way they could have. It would have been impossible for them to do it. They didn't have enough clues. And besides, the things that they were trying to figure out 
were things that, that, that God had said, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived the things that God has planned for those that love Him. You see, these aren't things that can be figured out empirically through, through seeing with the eyes or hearing with the ears or weighing and, and, and measuring. These things can't be logically deduced. No mind conceived them. These are things that ultimately God had to show us and explain to us how it all works, how it was all going to come together. And the thing that stumped these prophets, we're told, was what seemed like contradictory uh, information. Some of the prophets indicated that the salvation that was promised would come through God's suffering servant, who would be meek and gentle, who would bear our sins and suffer and die. Well, other prophecies, other prophets seem to indicate that this uh, one who would save us would come in glory and power at the head of the armies of heaven on the great and terrible day of the Lord. He would bring justice and, and judgment in his wake. So they're trying to figure out, now, which is it going to be? Is it going to be suffering servant or victorious Lord? They just couldn't quite figure it out. They couldn't see how it all worked together. And as they studied and prayed and, and, and tried to think it through, it, they were told that it wasn't for them to know. It would remain a mystery to them. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. See, these prophets benefited from what God was going to do. But they still couldn't quite understand it. There's an interesting passage at the end of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel was one of the last of the prophets, so he had a lot of the picture, a lot of the pieces. Still, he couldn't quite figure it out. Listen to what God says to him in the last chapter of Daniel. God said, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and back to increase in knowledge. God told Daniel to just write this stuff down. And then later at the end, people would come back to what he had written and begin to understand. And then a little later, Daniel responded. He said, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel. Because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are wise will understand. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. Then at the end, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. See, Daniel wouldn't understand during his lifetime. But then at the end, in the end days, he, he would come back to life to receive his allotted inheritance. And then it would all make sense to him. You see, he couldn't figure it out. It wouldn't make sense to him. Because these things were written for us. So that we would understand. You see, where we are, we have the box with the picture on it. We can understand. We look at that box and the picture is the face 
of Jesus. Now, right after Jesus' resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, he was walking with a couple of his disciples. And he said to them, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken! Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. You see, it's all about him. All of the prophecies. John 5, Jesus said, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, all of the Old Testament prophecies are about Jesus. They all are fulfilled. They all come true in Him. They were written for us, not them. They couldn't understand. We can. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that, we, so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote about uh, all the things that happened in the Old Testament. He said, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You see, not only were they written for our benefit, they actually happened for our benefit. People, we are the ones on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. All of this was planned for us so that we would understand, so that it would make sense to us. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or realized this, but what God did for 6,000 years was for you. He had you in mind. He wanted you to understand. He wanted you to gain the benefit from all of this. He loves you that much. You are that special, that important, that significant to Him. Peter himself uh, talked a little bit about this in one of his sermons right at the uh, beginning of Acts. In Acts 3, he had just, uh, Peter had healed a, a lame person by, God's, uh, by the power of Jesus. And everybody was marveling, everybody said, what's going on? And so he starts a sermon, he starts explaining to them. And he starts by saying, you guys killed Jesus, the Prince of Glory. Then he says, now brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Then he says, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenants God made with your fathers. See, people, you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenants. It's for you. I wish I had time to uh, go over each of the prophecies, each of the covenants of the Old Testament, show you how each one more and more clearly pointed to all that God has done for us in Christ. That's uh, a lifetime study. 
Let me instead, just in, in, in the briefest possible way, go over how it all comes together. Let, let me start with creation. After God had created the earth and all the vegetation, all that stuff, God created animals. He breathed the breath of life into them. And he built into them instincts that would protect them from harm and from, from destruction. What, what, the, what the Bible calls evil. It would protect them from evil. See, God hardwired into them the way that he wanted them to behave, to act. The way that they related to their environment, the way they related to other animals, the way they related to each other was based on instinct. And then God created humans, Adam and Eve. And he created us spiritual beings. What it means to be a spiritual being means, it means that we have the capacity to be in a relationship with God who is spirit. We have the capacity to, to come to know Him, to, to, to understand what He thinks, how He feels, what His plans are. To be a spiritual being means being capable of being in a loving relationship with God, who is the Great Spirit, who is ultimately the Spirit. But then God also created humans as animals. We have a body. We have a physical uh, life. But God created humans without instincts like he did animals. Now, we have reflexes. We have physical drives and desires. But we don't have, we lack the instinct that, that dictates how we, we, we fill those drives and desires in a healthy, appropriate way. See, we were, were created without the built-in knowledge of good and evil. Instead, God's plan was to walk with us and for us to be in relationship with Him. And then He, by His Spirit, would, would tell us what is good and what's destructive. He would tell us how to relate to our environment, how to relate to each other. As we, as we had a loving relationship with Him, He would explain it all to us and we would understand the whole plan and how it all worked. And we would be spared the experiential knowledge of evil. We would be spared the, the, the experience of sin and disease and death. We would know of the possibility of evil, but we would only know good firsthand. We would only know joy and peace and pleasure and satisfaction. But in our human pride... We wanted the knowledge of good and evil apart from God. We thought he was trying to rip us off, and we didn't trust him. So man sinned, and mankind died spiritually. We were cut off from the great spirit, from God himself, the creator of all that is. And as a result, we became like animals without instincts, unable to discern between good and evil. Good, that which is going to be healthy and, and right, and that which is going to be destructive, damaging to ourselves and to everyone around us. And in trusting 
the enemy, Satan, over God. The human race submitted itself to him, to be dominated by him through deception. You see, he began to to control the human race by feeding us lies about how we're going to find satisfaction, where we're going to find joy, where we're going to find peace. And humanity began to set off in all of these directions, looking for these things, plunging into darkness, getting more and more confused, more and more lost, more and more unable to see good from evil. And our continued pride... We refuse to face our sin. We embrace the darkness. We choose to be deceived to protect our egos. So cut off from God and the knowledge of good and evil, the ability to discern good from evil. Mankind, even with the best of motives, even when we want to do what is right and loving, we end up doing things that are destructive and hurtful to ourselves to our environment, and especially to each other. This is what the Bible calls wickedness, evil. God saw that, that, that everything that humans did began to destroy all that he had created. It distorted, twisted what was good. And God, who is love, couldn't just let it be. God, who is good, couldn't just say, that's okay, and let it happen. Because for him to do that, for him to embrace evil, would be to condemn human beings whom he created and whom he loves. He would condemn us to never experiencing anything but misery, confusion, chaos, dissatisfaction. He loves us too much to allow that. He sees the effect of sin and pride. How it, how it destroys all that He's created, and especially how it robs human beings, how it robs us of peace and joy, of life itself. So God hates sin. It makes Him furious. What's He to do? How's He going to solve this one? Well, He had a plan. And right away, He began to put that plan into effect by making covenants with humans, that is, making promises that if people would just trust him, he would work it out. He started right off with Adam and Eve, making that, that, that initial promise to them. And then he made more promises to, to uh, their son, Seth, and to others early on. And he made promises to, to Noah, promises to Abraham, and he reaffirmed those promises of what he would do to, to Isaac and Jacob. And then God chose one family, one tribe, one group of people. And he gave them, through Moses, the law, written down. So at least they had a clue to, good, to, to be able to tell between good and evil. And wouldn't completely destroy mankind. Wouldn't completely destroy the world. But though the law was able to retard evil, to slow it down. People couldn't keep it. Without God's Spirit in them, teaching them, enabling them, they just quickly went back to the lies, quickly went back to the darkness, began to copy the ways of the people who lived all around them in darkness. But again, the promises and the covenants, 
God promised if they would just trust him, he would take care of it. He had a way. All they had to do was trust him. So God began to call his people back through the judges and then through the kings. And he made promises to the kings. He promised David that he would put one of his descendants on the throne forever. And then through the prophets, God began to give more and more clues of how he was going to work this out. More and more pieces of the puzzle so that it would be easier and easier for people to trust him as they saw more and more of the picture. But most people didn't. Only a few did. What the Bible calls the remnant. The rest just resented the prophets. They hated them because the prophets brought light and people loved darkness. So at the right time, God sent his son and laid out the whole plan. Revealed the whole plan. His son, Jesus, would die on the cross in payment For our sins, he would absorb the wrath of God. He would break the power of the enemy, delivering us from his dominance. And he would remove every obstacle for us to come back to God and walk again with him and learn again from him the difference between good and evil, what's right and what's wrong, what's healthy, what's destructive. By simply trusting Jesus, he gives a new spiritual life restores us to a relationship with God as man was intended. See, that's the whole plan. That's it. And we have it laid out for us. By believing in Jesus, we are born into a new humanity. Just like in the old humanity. We leave that old humanity descended from him cut off from God, and we enter a new humanity, spiritually descended from the new Adam, Jesus. As we trust Him, we are so identified with Him, with what, what the Bible calls baptized into Him, placed into Him, so that what's true of Him becomes true of us. And just as all humans who are descended from Adam, we're in the old Adam, we're, we're cut off, we're lost and hopeless Unable to to tell good from evil. Unable to escape the destruction caused by sin. So those who put their trust in Jesus, the new Adam, are alive to God. And they receive the Holy Spirit who was poured out on this new humanity and, and teaches good from evil and empowers to do good, to do what's right, so that we escape the destruction caused by sin. Again, it all comes together in Jesus. As we are placed in Him by faith, what's true of Him becomes true of us. Now, those of you who have put your faith in Jesus are children of God. Why? Well, because Jesus is the Son of God. And you're in Him. And what's true of Him is true of you. Therefore, you are a son of God. You are a child of God. That's why. We uh, have our sins forgiven. Why? Well, because Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins. And if I'm in Christ, His death counts for me. I died because what's true of Him is true of me. And therefore, my sins are paid for. We receive His Holy Spirit. Why? 
Because it's the Spirit of Christ. And what's true of Christ is now true of me. So He's my Spirit. We will reign with Him for eternity. Why? Well, because Jesus will reign for eternity. He sits on the throne of David forever. And what's true of Him is now true of us. So we will reign with Him. We are absolutely Loved by God. Why? Not because of anything we've done. Not because we've got our act together so well. Not because of any righteousness. Not any virtue in ourselves. But simply because we're in Christ. And God loves His Son so completely. He is so delighted with Jesus. And what's true of Him is now true of me. And He is absolutely delighted with me. He loves me completely. See again, it all comes together in Jesus That's why Paul said, beginning of Ephesians 1, God made known to us the mystery of His plan, according to His good intention, which He planned in Christ, to be put into effect at just the right time, to bring all things in heaven on earth together under Christ. He brings it all together in Christ. He says, For I made up my mind to know nothing while I was with you, except... Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, I I don't care about anything else. All I want you to know is Jesus. Because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him you've got it all. You've got all the answers to life, to joy, to peace. You've got uh, freedom from sin. You've got security for your future. You've got the Holy Spirit. Not like the Old Testament saints on whom the Holy Spirit would come and go. But you can have the Spirit of God living in you. Teaching you. Guiding you. Empowering you every minute of the day if you let Him. We have forgiveness of sins. Not like the Old Testament saints who experience that once or twice a year at the sacrifices. But we experience it every minute of every day, washed in the blood of Christ. Able to experience the joy and the freedom of having been cleansed by that blood. The newness of life every day, every minute of the day. We have access to the Father. Not like the Old Testament saints who had to go to Jerusalem. And go to the temple and wait outside while the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. No, our high priest has torn the curtain of the Holy of Holies. We have constant access to the Father. We can enjoy His presence all the time. All that we need to do to enjoy Him is to go inside the temple of our bodies and enjoy His presence. People, I don't think any of us have much idea of what we have here. We're walking around with a billion-dollar lottery ticket in our pocket, and we don't know it. You've got a Van Gogh in your attic, and you're ignoring it. We've got the greatest treasures, resources, at our constant disposal, and still we slump along, unknowing. The fact is, God has done all of this for you. All of history We are the heirs of the ages. It's for us now and for eternity. Now next week we're going to here begin to look at uh, how Peter wants us to respond to this great news. But let me just close this week by, by encouraging three things. First of all, open your present. 
I mean, God has given you the greatest gift in Christ that you could ever have. Don't leave it wrapped and sitting on the shelf. And he's planned this gift for eternity. Give him the delight of seeing you enjoy it. Open it. Use it. Enjoy it. Second, like the prophets of the Old Testament and even the angels who strain to understand these things, let's go back to our Bibles, to the Old and the New Testament, and explore, study, discover the riches that are ours in Christ. You see, all of life on this earth, all of the Christian life is a life of discovering what we already have received in Christ learning how to, 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 to experience a new dimension of what we've already been given. Make it your life's quest to explore, to sound the depths of the riches that you have in Christ. Go back to His Word. Study it. Explore it. Our understanding is based on the foundation of the Word. And then finally... Let me call you to worship. Praise our God for His incredible generosity. His incredible gift. His grace. His love. He made you the heirs of the ages. He planned all this for you. It's His desire that you understand these things, that you understand His heart, His thoughts, His plans. Because He loves you that much. You're that important to Him. That He planned this from all eternity. Give thanks and praise His holy name. Let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks. It is uh, almost beyond our capacity to comprehend that life was designed as a surprise party for us. We just feel so often like we're little pieces on the sides. The, The main things are happening elsewhere to other people. But Lord, your word says you planned this for us that we individually might know you might understand you, might be in a loving relationship with you personally. And there find all of our needs, all of our longings, all of our aches fulfilled, our needs met, that we might have you again to teach us good from evil. Lord, it's so complicated so often. It's so confusing to us. But you, by your Spirit, using your Word, open our eyes and we see what is truly loving. Lord, we worship you for the brilliance of your plan. And especially for your goodness in doing it for us. We praise you in Jesus who made all this possible. Who is our life and our joy and our peace. Amen.